Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome back to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today I have an interview with debut novelist Abby Dare, the author of The Girl with the Louding Voice. We talk today about Abby's day job, her desire to tell this story, and how she came up with the title, The Girl with the Louding Voice. Everything we talk about on today's episode can be found in the link in the show notes. You'll also notice The Stacks is now linking to bookshop.org, a new online bookshop that supports independent bookstores. Shopping through those links is also a way for you to help support The Stacks, as bookshop.org gives a small commission to this podcast. Okay, now it's time for my conversation with Abby Dare. All right, everybody. I am here today with Abby Dare. She is the author of The Girl with the Louding Voice. It, the book has kind of taken the world by storm. So Abby, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So exciting to be here. I'm really excited to have you. So why don't you go ahead and tell me, we always start here in about 30 seconds or so. Can you give us kind of a little rundown of your book? Sure. It's a story of a 14-year-old girl called Aduni who wants nothing more than to be educated. Now, when her mother who has always fought for education, dies. Aduni is sold to be the third wife of a much older man. She escapes that and moves to the city of Lagos, where she becomes a housemaid for a wealthy family. The story is her journey as she tries to fight for her education, as she tries to fulfill and fulfill her dreams. Amazing. That, you did a very good job. I feel like you've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> so this is your first book. This is your debut novel. Why burst onto the scene with this book? What was it about this story that you felt like I have to tell this story right now? I think it was, it came, it, I, I was burdened by the story, to be honest. I was burdened by by the fact that, so I grew up in Lagos and in Nigeria and in a neighborhood where a lot of families, so hundreds of families, close to a thousand lived in that neighborhood. And it was middle class to slightly wealthy. And many of the families had housemates who so were kind of young girls, sometimes as young as eight leaving and working mm. with families. And um, so this was quite common. And it was it was one thing I noticed growing up was that many of these girls were not very well treated. So some of them, you you could always tell who the maid was um, who when she wasn't well treated in a family. So when my daughter turned eight, um, I ha- asked her to do some chores for me to help with offloading the dishwasher. And she was moaning and groaning and didn't want to do it. And so I said to her that, do you know that young girls like you who are probably working for families like mine in Nigeria? And her reaction was what led me to write. Yeah, so she thought it was a paying job in the sense like an office job. So getting paid on a monthly basis, a lot of money. 
But I said it wasn't, that it meant chores, that this was, for many girls, this was um, sometimes no holidays and sometimes being ill-treated. And I think her reaction, she asked me why, mom, why would a young girl go and work for a family? And that was really the foundation of what led me to go back and to look back at my childhood to say, why? You know, what is the story of this girl? How has she become a maid of the mm. girls I'd seen growing up? So I wanted to try and tell that story and to tell it in the voice of this young girl, Adunis voice. Well, that was my next question. So the book is written in in Adunis voice and it is kind of in, you know, a dialect and she's clearly, you know, it's like a little bit of broken English, I guess is the way you mm-hmm. might say it. So why mm-hmm. make that choice? Like how did that help you into in being able to tell the story? It was um, a deliberate choice. It, I, the girls that I, some of the girls I knew growing up were not very well educated. So they, they navigated English language in their own way. And I wanted to reflect this. But I also realized that in telling the story this way, in non-standard English, it allowed me to divorce myself as an author from the character. Mm. So I wasn't able to take control of anything. It was completely all Adjani. And it allowed me to slow down, to, to not skim right, and sort of be lazy about anything. Every single word that I put on the page had to be a journey. So it made me think a little bit deeper about how I describe certain things or certain smells. I had to really think about it from a journey's point of view. So it allowed me to build the character quite well, but it also allowed me to show something that has been quite, in- something has been quite interesting to me all, all my life is that, you know, I, I try to show that the fact that someone doesn't speak very good English doesn't mean they're not smart or intelligent right. or talented. And it was something I wanted to show because growing up, there was always this this view of, oh, you can't speak English. Well, I really shouldn't be talking to you. So I wanted to show that and show that, look, English is, is just a language and it doesn't mean you're not intelligent or smart. And I think Aduni makes a comment to that towards somewhere in the book. Yeah, well. no, that's such a great point. I think um, I'm here in America, in the States, and we, <laughs> as you know, are going through a lot of immigration um, exactly. travails. And I think that oftentimes, just because someone doesn't speak the language, we assume mm-hmm. that they're not capable or smart or intelligent yes. or that we treat them Absolutely. that way. And even yeah. even if it's not something that we're consciously doing, it is something mm-hmm. that is part of the culture. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really interesting and um, astute point by you. Thank you. And I think also the way that the book is written, it forces the reader to slow down as well. I yes. know that I struggled yes. in the beginning because I was like trying to, you know, <laughs> speed through. I read all these books. I'm like trying yeah. to go and I'm like, okay, you need to take a second <laughs> and actually read what's being written. And I think that it's somewhat refreshing from a reading standpoint, at least it was for me. I don't know if you've gotten that feedback from readers before. A lot of people said I had to slow down and Mm -hmm. I had to slow down as a writer as well. So I wouldn't just write, describe a smell. You know, I couldn't say as white as snow because Adina has never seen snow. So I couldn't be lazy. It was very interesting for me. Yeah, it forced me to slow down in writing. So I couldn't use metaphors and similes that I was used to or descriptive. Um, words that I knew uh, had put in my archive over the years. I had to invent fresh, fresh ones and dig for new things to to show. Yeah. Um, I do want to shout out your audiobook. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to listen to it before, but it <laughs> everyone is... has said that. I haven't finished listening. No. Oh my God. She's so fantastic. The woman who reads it, she's really great. She like I she brought tears to my eyes in sections because I always like to read the book and then also listen to parts just to kind of Mm -hmm. get a sense for it, especially with the names. And there's some Mm -hmm. sections where she's, you know, talking about her louding voice. And I was like, oh, 
Adani, I love you. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, so it's really, it's really beautiful. So people listening at home, um, it's a great, great, great option for an audiobook if you're searching for something to listen to as well. Um, speaking of the characters, how do you name your characters? How do you come up with who should be called what? So what I tried to do was to have them be named by where they come from. So what I found growing up was that people from um, a certain rural part of Nigeria had had really deep Yoruba names, so names that were not common, but but you know reflected their religion or the part of Nigeria they were from. And then when I and then in Lagos, a lot of people had names that are, you know were kind of shortened or slightly Western, mm. um, and I try to reflect that. So you find that when she gets to Lagos, there's Tia, whose real name is something that's not Tia, but I didn't bother what it was, <laughs> to put whatever it was there. And then you had Caroline and you had Florence. So many of these names were English names, reflecting the fact that many of these people had Westernized in, in a way. And then those in the village were just pure, deep Yoruba names to reflect who they were. And I try to make the names kind of sound to reflect the character a little bit, like Morufu is not a great person. Right. And his name is, uh, yeah, you know. So I just try to do that. And it, the, the names came to me in an instant, really. Okay. So once I, I you know, I've, I've got a name in my spirit, I just let it stick into the character. That's awesome. I love that. And how about um, the title? I mean, the title comes up in the book a bunch, but how did you decide on on that? The girl with a louding voice. I that came when I'd finished the book, so I'd come come up with a lot of names, and nothing was connecting in my spirit. Nothing was connecting, and then I thought, wait, hang on. She writes. She she she's written an, she's written an essay called the girl. Why not make that the title? So. Mm. I, and it was just that, you know, it was right there staring at me all this while. That's so um, funny because it does feel like it's, it? <laughs> yeah, it's such a huge part of the book. I feel like that phrase it comes is. up. It's interesting yeah. that it took you, yeah. it took you a while to step back and think, maybe, maybe this is it. <laughs> it is. I was so excited when I found, found that I could use that. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, what do you feel uh-huh. like was the hardest part about writing this book? And what parts of this book did you feel like came kind of easily for you? Well, I think the hardest parts were <clears throat> her marriage, getting her to process that, mm. the wedding scene, and the first time she's with her husband. I think writing that was really hard because it was just really hard trying to ha- have a child in that position and have her try to process those thoughts. And me as a writer trying to relay those in words in a way that would be respectful um, because I, obviously it's never happened to me before, but I was conscious of the fact that somebody who's reading this might have experienced that and so I tried not to be too too heavy on it Mm. but at the same time I wanted to show the pain so it was it was I didn't want to skim through but at the same time I wanted to show it so it was kind of hard to write that to find the right balance um what was also kind of hard was trying to carry on with her feelings of grief throughout the book for her mother so I didn't want her crying every day but at the same time, I didn't want her going, yeah, I'm good. I'm happy. You know, life is great. Mm. I can get through this. So it was trying to find a balance of grief. I'm good. Grief. I'm good kind of thing. So just trying to go in. So I went through the book a few times saying, OK, there's grief here. Maybe she should be OK and happy here. And then maybe a bit of sadness and maybe a bit of. So it's just finding those balance. And some of the sins um, with the women in the church as well was a bit tough to write um, as well. Hmm. And then what about the stuff that came easily for you? 
anything else but that. <laughs> um, I think the easier the easier parts were the, the party scene with the women. Um, mm. First time she meets Tia, that was fun to write. I really loved playing with those women and just giving them the descriptions, whatever they looked like. I loved that. I enjoyed that. And that was quite easy. And I think that took me one or two tries um, of writing. I just sat down, wrote that, edited it once or twice, and it was good. So that that wasn't too bad. Um, but the rest, I just kept on going over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about your process as a writer. So how long have you been working on this book? Uh, three years from idea to finished product. It took me three years. Um, so the first draft took about eight months, six to eight months. And then I put it in for a competition called the Bat Novel Award. It won that competition. From there, I got an agent. And then that, and then we went through many, many drafts before we went in submission and then many drafts. So I find that generally when I'm working on a book, 
I find that it takes me, it would take me about three years. The mm. first draft is usually the one that I try to rush. So I try to do a dump, especially this book, because I was writing in Adonis' voice. I was trying to stay in that zone. So I was reading a lot of books that were written in dialect, which are not a lot, to right. be honest. So the ones I could find, like The Color Purple, um, A Bit of the Help, you know, some some books that had, had parts in dialect, um, I tried to read those. Um, there's a book called A Girl is a half Mom Thing, which is a stream of consciousness novel. But I, you know, it was written in a different voice. So I tried to read those kind of books, but and I wanted to make sure I got out everything Aduni was thinking on a page, which is why the first draft was quite a, a bad, mad dash for me. <laughs> and then after that, I went back into putting it apart. So I pulled it apart um, word by word, just make, made sure that every single word made sense. But in terms of my writing process, so once I get the first draft out, um, and because I, I kind of work full time as well, and I have two children, so I tend to write in snatches of time. So I write when I can. I don't have a, I have to write 1000 words a day. But I try to say I'd want to write about 4,000 words a week. And so whenever that week is, it might be on a Sunday evening, I sit down and I try to get those words out if I can. Mm. And then what I then do during the week when I'm in the middle of the kids are swimming, I try to edit. You know, I'm on my way to the office on the train. I try to edit. Lunch break, I try to edit. So during the week is what I try to do my edits. And the weekends, I try to sit down and get something out. But before then, the story is most important for me. So until... I feel passionate enough about a story, I would not start writing. So I need to not be able to sleep. I need to really be thinking about my characters. And that's how it was for Adunu, for me. I literally couldn't stop thinking about her. I needed to write her story. And so I could I could think about a story for six months before right. I actually sit down to write. Yeah. Right. Wow. That's actually incredible that you're able to kind of break break it up and do the work. We talked to so many different authors mm-hmm. on this podcast and I'm always fascinated on everyone's different Everyone's different. Next yeah. Time. <laughs> yeah. It's just so interesting because you think, at least I think that everyone's going to have a similar answer and it's always just so varied, mm-hmm. which is exciting because the books end up being mm-hmm. so varied, you know, and it, I love that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you, what is that? What is your day job, your other job? So I work in, in technology. Mm. I lead a team of project managers and it's in pharma technology. So we, and I work for a company that does drug research and documents that into data and sells that data. So it's very scientific. Yeah, really different. (laughs) In its own way. And it really keeps me sort of, it's good because it takes me out of the writing mode. And when I'm at work and I'm at work and it allows me to come back and look at my my stuff that I've written with very fresh eyes from a different side of my brain, which is great. Yeah. Wow. That's totally a different (laughs) world. I think that's incredible. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Would you ever write a book about that work? I might. <laughs> Is there anything I'm juicy in there? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> there, there's always, I mean, it's so, so fascinating to find that you work for a company that does research on drugs and documents the processes, the data and sells that data out. And it's really interesting to show, to see just how much investment is going into drugs and to the drug business and how companies are keen to improve lives. Um, I've just seen all of that. So it's, it's always a story anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere you look, there's a story. Totally. How did your coworkers feel about your book? Were they excited? I mean, it's been like so excited and so supportive. I, everyone's like, especially because because the drug company we have quite a heavy presence in the US, Mm. and so a lot of my bosses are in the states, and they're sending me pictures like Abby, we just saw your book in Miami airport and (laughs) stuff like that. I'm like, yay! (laughs) So they've been really great. They've been so supportive. I'm so grateful to to have them, um, to have a company like that that 
that appreciates that I have a dream and they're supportive of it. It's great. That's very cool. Uh, back to your writing. This is my favorite question. So I have to ask, I always ask everybody, mm-hmm. do you have any writing snacks or beverages or rituals that you do around your writing? Oh, yes. Interesting you asked that. No one has ever asked me that. So yes, yes I, I got do. one. <laughs> I always, always have to have a flat white with hazelnut syrup, mm. one shot. It has to be one shot. And it's really difficult because flat whites are usually one shot. So I'm like, can you just reduce that one shot for me? Because I, I react quite to caffeine. If it's too much, I can't sleep for days. Mm. But I need caffeine sometimes to write. So I'm always like, can you just reduce whatever one shot you have? Can you just make it half of a shot? <laughs> and many times, because they know me quite well in my ca- local cafe. So they kind of try to f- maneuver it for me and figure out something that works. And it's brilliant. And it has to be in a takeaway cup. So I can't have it in a mug. Or oh. in, a, in a glass, you know, those thick glasses. Not, I need to have it in a takeaway cup. It has to be in a takeaway cup. Wow. Why the takeaway cup? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's okay. about holding a takeaway, feeling the, I think it's the ridges, the rough, roughness of the cup. It, okay. It helps my brain. Okay. Okay. I love it. I love it. it. That's great. It. <laughs> it, no, it's, it's wonderful. I love, I love a different answer. So I love that. Um, how did you know that you wanted to write or what inspired you or who inspired you to write, especially knowing that you have this other job that's so different? Why were you like, okay, mm-hmm. in addition to doing this drug company research, I also mm-hmm. want to mm-hmm. write these stories. I'd always been uh, someone that told stories. So I would be the one in secondary school, primary school, gathering people and saying, let me tell you a story. And I would (laughs) tell stories. So, (laughs) and, you know, and I used to sort of make up plays and direct plays in secondary school, just, you know, scripts, I would write scripts that didn't make a lot of sense, but somehow I would entertain. And so I love storytelling and I used to journal a lot. I used to write in diaries, in my diary and journal. And then when I left Nigeria and came to England, I, I had a blog, which is no longer functioning. I deleted it, but it was very popular. And I was just talking about my feelings and thoughts. And so writing had always been a part of me. So John, talking about my, writing about my thoughts and feelings of as an immigrant in the United Kingdom, coming in as a student, what I loved, what I didn't love so much. Uh, that then transitioned into fiction. So I stopped blogging because it got quite popular and it was a bit too intrusive in my personal life. So I stopped that, deleted that, and then thought, okay, I really love to write. How else can I talk about life without it being all about me? Let's talk about other people. And then I went into fiction because it gives me a bit of control about of other people's lives, which is a bit narcissistic, but I, <laughs> I enjoy it. <laughs> That's wonderful. We're all a little bit narcissistic, don't worry. What's a word? <laughs> what's a word that you can never spell correctly on the first try? Tomorrow. Ooh, good one. Yes. Too many R's or M's or what? What's where do you get caught too up? Too many M's. Too many, many M's. M's. Three okay. M's. Four M's. It's there's always a red <laughs> line in when I type tomorrow. I don't even bother. I don't bother. You know, re, you know, checking the, the the spellings when I do it now. I just send it and get used to it. Someone else will figure it out for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay. I want to talk about your book getting picked by Jenna Bush for the Good Morning America book club thing. Oh my god! What was that like? Yeah. How did you find out? Do they call you? Do you just watch it on Good Morning America? Like, how does that whole process play out? On the Today Show. I mean, yeah. sorry, it was, Today um, Show. The Today Show. <laughs> Whoops. It was unreal. I got a call from my editor and she was like, uh, the, you were going to, uh, Jenna loves your book. I was like, okay, it was Jenna. <laughs> she was like, um, the Today Show. I was like, the Today Show. Because it didn't click. Because I, I live in England. 
Right. We don't want the Today Show. Right. I didn't really know much about it. And so when she was talking, I was Googling it and I was like, oh my gosh. <sighs> and I started to scream. I'm quite expressive. I was screaming and I was in the library. And so I couldn't scream too loudly. So I kind of internalized my scream. And then, um, and it was just a case of, yeah, knowing and then preparing for that. And and so I, I found out shortly before the announcement was made and I couldn't really say much about it. And it was just amazing seeing my book on so even though I knew what's gonna happen, it just felt so real. Just seeing my book announced in the way it was and seeing everyone screaming and holding it up. It's I could never forget that feeling in my life. It was unbelievable. I'm so grateful to Jenna for picking my book. It's unreal. Amazing. Yeah, what an honor. What an honor. I was excited to see it. I was excited to see that it was picked (laughs) on Good Morning. I mean, I keep calling it Good Morning America. Also, as you can tell, I also don't watch the Today Show. So (laughs) it's not something that I'm, that's not how I get my news, either of those shows. Um, Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you know what comes next for you? Like, do you have another project that you're working on? Are you just kind of soaking all this up right now? A bit of both. So I'm always thinking of the next story. I'm very attracted to writing about the human condition about tradition and culture and the limitations that it posts on women. I love to write about experiences of of my characters, not just in Nigeria, but away from Nigeria. So I might be looking at something to do, something along those lines. But I'm just, right now I'm just thinking of the story. Like I said, I'm in my thinking phase, thinking, processing, wondering what ifs. But at the same time, I'm doing all of this, so all the tours and the the promotion for, for the girl with the loud voice. So it's a bit of both. Right. When you're in your thinking phase, when you're working on the story before you start putting stuff down on the page, are there, are you inspired by, you know, other books or, or movies or music? Are there things that kind of you include mm-hmm. in your process outside from just thinking of the characters or does that maybe come yes, later? Uh, or? I try to read a lot. So I try to, so if I know that I want to write about women, I try to read books about women. I, I love writing about women anyway. So I tr- I'm, I'll be reading books about women and be taking notes. So my notes are usually in my phone. Mm. As I'm sort of going about my daily activity, I'll text myself. Um, I'll text myself and and you know just consider. I'll just consider this. Think about this. You know, would it be nice if this happens? And so I'll do that as I'm reading. And I could read. Sometimes I can read five, six, seven books um, before I feel that I might have a story. And what I I, I do outline um, sometimes quite extensively, and sometimes not. So, um, but I always have an outline, no matter what it is. So right now I'm in outlining phase where I'm figuring out what I could do with the story, where it could Mm. go. And I'm enjoying that, but I'm reading other books and trying to use that to really to, to break off Adjuni's voice because it was such, it had such a stronghold on me, um, that it took me a while to come out of that voice. Right. To like let her go. Right. Yes, to let her go. I went through a period of mourning and a bit of bereavement, to be honest. Yeah, wow. Feeling quite sad uh, I, when I finished writing. I remember when the when my editor emailed me and said, Abby, we're done. I was like, no, we're not. I didn't <laughs> want to keep edit- editing this book. I don't want to let it go. <laughs> right, right. So, that makes so yeah. much sense because you're immersed in her for so long. Yes. Yeah, and she's so unique and so different. And so I just didn't want to let her go. Yeah. What sort of books? Um, I know you mentioned The Color Purple. What other sort of stuff were you reading for The Girl with the Louding Voice while you were writing? So the color, I read The Color Purple. I read uh, a bit of The Help, mm-hmm. um, especially the parts of the, the, the maid that wasn't, that was, I think it was Minnie. I'm not sure which character it was. Ablin, I think it was. Um, I read, there were some books that were written by Nigerian authors, which were 
kind of the same voice, but it was really, really small books. There was one called Souza Boy by Ken Sarawiwa. He's a late author, um, but he was written a similar voice about a, a soldier. And then um, I read The Girls Have One Thing, which is Stream of Consciousness. So I would pick up Stream of Consciousness books and just read, open the middle of it and read it. So I wasn't reading these books to get into the story. No, I was reading them, apart from The Color Purple, which I loved. But mm-hmm. many of these other books, I was reading them to just see how the author managed to carry on that voice through the book. So I could maybe turn to the back, see what they've done at the back, and then go to the front and see that. And see. So it's uh, more an educational exercise as opposed to a pleasurable experience for me. Right, for like the craft the of it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. For people who love The Girl with the Louding Voice, are there any books that you would recommend to them that might be in conversation with your book or kind of in a similar world or similar voice or things that you just feel like, this book speaks to my book? Um, maybe not voice, but in terms of, if, if, I mean, I think I was recommending for the Today Show, I recommended two or three other books. And I would probably do the same. Um, a Thousand Splendid Songs, like I would be saying, is a wonderful story. Oh, so good. Which I hope you've read. Yes, a lot love, of people have read it. love, love, love. <laughs> but again, it's, yeah, love, 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 love. It's an amazing story of, you know, female friendship, overcoming cultural um, limitations, tradition, and just fighting in their own way. So that's a beautiful story. If anyone wants to read about a different culture and seeing how women are portrayed there. Um, but then there's I Am Malala, which is nonfiction. Which mm-hmm. oh, that was one other one I read, which is a fantastic story of Malala who she, who fought for her education and, and nearly lost her life in the process. And there's another one which is not as popular as I Am Malala. It's called I Am Nujud, um, which is a book tr- by a ten year old girl, which, and translated by a writer called Christine Lamb. I think she's a reporter who translated her book. She at the age of ten she was forced into an arranged marriage, and <sighs> Nujud got a divorce so she requested a divorce got it and that led to a change of law in her country so it's an example of using your voice and fighting so some of these because they're non-fiction it could be green reads but um but they're quite inspiring and eye-opening and then maybe educated by tara westover that was another great great read yeah um, as well about fighting education yeah 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 those are all awesome suggestions okay before we wrap up i just have a few more questions for you uh one of them would be What's been the most surprising reaction you've had to this book or you've received? Oh, I think it has to be, I think it has to be the tears, people Mm. saying they couldn't stop crying. Mm. That has been really surprising. I mean, first time somebody sent me a DM, she was like, Abby, I cannot stop crying. (laughs) And then about 20 minutes later, I'm still crying. 20 minutes later, I'm still crying. I'm like, okay, I'm not sure what to say here. (laughs) I think that has been seeing the, the emotional, the emotional reaction has been really, really, really touching and amazing and awe-inspiring for me. I've just found it very, it's quite humbling to see people react that way. Um, yeah. yeah, things start, the tears. Okay. And then aside from Jenna Bush, who is the coolest person or the most exciting person you've heard from that's read your book? Uh, um, I'm not sure, actually. Quite okay. a lot of Bookstagrammers, yeah, <laughs> a lot of people on on because on, I I didn't understand I didn't, honestly Bookstagram is not um something that I well personally I didn't know it was such a powerful community within the UK I didn't really see it right. and so working in the U working with the US publishing team and just seeing you know people with a lot of followers on on Instagram who just blog about books it was a mm-hmm. completely eye opening and hearing them talk about the book and influence in such a way has been amazing. There's another agent, there's an agent, I, uh, Agent Rachel, who has a blog, one of the 
death blogs on writing and I can't remember the title of the blog now and she read it and loved it and that that really really touched my heart I couldn't be because I'd been a fan of her blog for years and just loving her the advice she gives on writing so seeing her say she loved the book was great that's awesome yes I I did not know about mm-hmm. bookstagram before I started doing this podcast and oh, wow. I've since become such a love the community and become a part of it and it's just such a treat it's so it's I could not believe it like when my my you know talking to my my publishing team and they were saying they're gonna get the books out to bookstagrammers I was thinking what's that <laughs> what's that and then now I know what that is and I really value it it's they you know the ones that have loved my book which is a lot has been really, really supportive. I'm so grateful. Yeah, it's real. It's a very cool space. Um, okay, mm-hmm. last question. Here it is. If you could have one person, dead or alive, read your book, who would you who would you want to read? Michelle Obama. Ooh, yes. Ugh, <laughs> Michelle Obama. I feel like this is kind of in her wheelhouse. Yeah. I bet she has read it. Don't you think I it's like kind of like about young I women and education and oh gosh, I was just thinking, Michelle, please read this. I really hope she has. I really love Michelle Obama. She's well, such an inspiration. She really is. My gosh, she's amazing. <laughs> she's incredible. Oh, I, this yeah. could be just a Michelle Obama appreciation <laughs> podcast, honestly, know, if they'd I let know, me do it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Avi, thank you so much for joining the show, everybody. The book is thank called you. The Girl with the Louding Voice. It is an incredible story of a young woman and. I highly recommend you read it and or both do the audio book. However you like to consume your books, check it out. Avi, thank you so much for being here. (laughs) Thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. And we will see you guys in the stacks. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you to Avi Dare for being our guest and to Heather Mill for helping us set up this interview. Remember that the Stacks Book Club is reading Trust Exercise by Susan Choi in April, and we will be discussing the book with author Brandon Taylor on April 29th. Find everything we discussed in today's episode in the link in the show notes. For more from the Stacks, follow us on social media at the Stacks Pod on Instagram and at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter, and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Make sure you're subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts, and if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review this show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. <laughs>